This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. Today is Friday, December 17th. Coming up, how Missouri's attorney general is trying to end mask mandates and other COVID precautions across the state. Plus, what the city manager of Kansas City has accomplished in his first year in office. But first, some headlines. Electric utility Evergy reports thousands of customers are still without power in central and eastern Kansas and western Missouri. Wednesday's extreme windstorm snapped utility poles and downed power lines. At its peak, the storm left about 200,000 Evergy customers in the dark. In a news conference, Evergy Chief Customer Officer Chuck Kaisley said the storm may have been the worst outage event the company has ever seen. With this number of folks without power, And the number of outage events that we have, this is absolutely going to be a multi-day restoration. Evergy hasn't yet estimated the total cost of the damage, but will spend extra money to replace broken poles and pay overtime to repair workers. After weeks of fierce debate, the Kansas City Council voted yesterday on new boundaries for its six council districts. The redistricting affects everything from who gets to run for office to how public infrastructure dollars are spent. KCUR's Lisa Rodriguez reports the vote was especially controversial for the Northland. The council voted 9-4 to in favor of a new map that would split Northland districts 1 and 2 horizontally, generally along Barry Road. That's a radical change from the vertical boundary that's existed since 1991. All four Northland council members voted no. Advocates for the horizontal split argued it would give low-income residents south of Barry Road a greater voice by consolidating them in one district. And the council majority agreed the new map's goal was more equitable representation. But Northland leaders said they already invest millions more infrastructure dollars south of Barry Road. The new map determines districts for the 2023 city council elections. Area hospitals are reporting sharp increases in COVID-19 admissions, and their chief medical officers say things are likely to get worse. KCUR's Dan Margulies reports. The University of Kansas Health System reported Thursday that it had 45 active cases, including 12 in the ICU. 41 of the 45 patients were not vaccinated. We are on a steep climb now. That's KU Chief Medical Officer Stephen Stites. And when you walk outside, you go into a restaurant, you go into a shopping, you know why. There's no masking. They're forecasting the highest COVID inpatient numbers since the pandemic reached the U.S. nearly two years ago. Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt has made it clear he's against mask mandates and other COVID-19 prevention measures. Earlier this year, he sued Kansas City, St. Louis, Jackson County, and other local governments over their mask mandates. And now he's making legal threats against schools. KCUR education reporter Jody Fortino has been reporting on this issue, and she's here with me now to talk about it. Hi, Jody. Hi, Nomeen. So how did this all begin? So in late November, a Cole County judge ruled that a state law that gives local health departments the authority to issue public health orders was actually unconstitutional, stating that appointed officials shouldn't have the authority, it should only be elected officials who do. From there, Schmidt followed up by sending letters to local health departments and school districts threatening legal action if they didn't drop their mask mandates and quarantine policies, stating that that violates that Cole County judgment. Um, And then he doubled down, if you will, on that and sent more than 30 cease and desist letters to districts across the state, really saying, if you don't drop these orders, 
I will go ahead and pursue this legal action. And just to clarify, public health officials tend to be appointed in local governments. They're not elected. Yes, they are not elected. These orders, per se, in Kansas City, why it didn't necessarily, the Cole County ruling didn't affect us is because ours came down from our city council, which are elected officials. So how have these schools responded to these cease and desist letters and these threats of legal action from Schmidt? Some districts, and I'd say a lot, like Kansas City Public Schools, said they're still figuring out how the letters will impact them exactly or these threats. Meanwhile, Lee Summit is the first and kind of the only school district to fire back at Schmidt with a letter from its lawyers stating that it won't be backing down and that he did not have the legal authority to issue these letters in the first place and that this ruling wasn't binding on school districts. Um, and then you have other school districts like Kearney and Smithville, who earlier this week went ahead and voted to loosen up their COVID requirements kind of going into this new school year. What other pressure is on school districts to drop these COVID prevention measures? So meanwhile, they have, you know, be cease and desist letters. A lot of them are also kind of entering this time of the year where they're refinancing their loans. So schools in Missouri have access to an office called the Missouri Health and Educational Facilities Authority. It's an office that helps make low-cost loans and refinance debt for schools. So usually the Missouri Treasurer's Office will just sign off on these agreements they have with this office. But now he's saying if they don't comply with the Cole County order, he's not going to sign off on these financial agreements. Um, most of these schools that received this notice have already dropped their orders, but you could see how that could create a problem if they didn't have the intent to comply. So how has this lawsuit affected local health departments? So the Kansas City Star and other local news stations have reported that there are several health departments across the state that are pulling back either completely on their COVID-19 requirements or at least loosening them in lieu of these legal threats, um, mostly rural ones, though. What's next for this issue? Do we know? I guess it is kind of a waiting game is what I'm hearing from school districts and just attorneys and sources is, you know, how will it go forward when, you know, per se, he does actually file this legal action against one of the schools? How will it hold up this different interpretations of the Cole County ruling and who has the authority to be issuing these public health orders? Jody Fortino is the education reporter for KCUR. Thanks, Jody. Thanks, Noemi. Coming up, City Manager Brian Platt of Kansas City on the lack of affordable housing. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. This is Kansas City Today. At UMB Private Wealth Management, a division of UMB Bank, UMB always puts your interests first. UMB's registered advisors are fiduciaries, so that means they are legally and ethically required to only recommend investments that are the best fit for your individual circumstances. UMB provides one-on-one -on -one guidance to help you make savvy financial choices on your wealth-building journey. Tap into high-touch financial planning services so you can earn, grow, and create the life you want. Learn more at umb.com wealth hyphen management. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. Brian Platt has been the city manager of Kansas City for one year. In that time, he's gotten more than $10 million in grants through the health department and created a standalone housing department. But Platt told KCUR's Steve Kraske on Up to Date, there's still more work to be done. 
Brian, welcome back. So nice to have you here and meet you in person. Thank you so much. Very excited to be here in person for the first time. Very good. Are you winding up this first year where you'd like to be? It, you know, yes, I would say yes, but that doesn't mean that we're not finished with the work that we've got to do. We've made a lot of tremendous achievements and strides forward on a lot of really important high-impact uh, initiatives and programs, but we've still got a lot of work to do. It always feels to me, even as a reporter looking at all this, that the issues just seem to come in waves. Yeah, you know, I, I wouldn't say that anyone in a city uh, 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 that works for a city in a capacity like I do can predict what we are going to be thinking about and doing in any given day. We have to be ready for those things, but we also have to be planning long term and thinking about all of the many needs that we've got already on the list. How is a do job different than maybe what you thought it might be? I didn't really have an expectation of what it should or shouldn't be, to be honest. And I'll say that uh, cities across the country, uh, city leaders, we're all facing the same list of problems. No matter where you go, we're talking about affordable housing. We're talking about crime. We're talking about schools. It's all the same stuff. It's really that local context and those nuances uh, uh, within the city itself that dictate what those solutions need to be and how you move forward and navigate the, the problem-solving process. Do you guys get together and, and talk over common problems and maybe reach common solutions? Absolutely. You know, what, what's great about uh, being a city leader uh, uh, in in the in the United States, to be honest, is we've got a great network across the country of city leaders and officials that come together with a variety of different groups uh, that help have those conversations. And thinking about uh, homelessness and housing, for example, uh, I was in New York City a few weeks ago uh, with the Harvard Bloomberg City Leadership Initiative. And a few of us just started talking about some of the issues that are most pressing and most urgent for us. Homelessness is a national pandemic of itself at this point. And we're all talking about the things that we're working on and the solutions we're coming to. And, and it was amazing to see that many of us were looking at hotels and converting them into housing to just get more roofs available for those that have the lowest incomes and that are homeless in our cities. And it's working everywhere. And so it makes you feel good when you're making your own, when you're having your own decision-making process, uh, knowing that we're all coming to the same solutions here and they're working in other places. It's not just Kansas City doing something rogue. Well, let's turn to some issues here. Lots of talk this week, uh, Brian, about repurposing the old Buckle Neal Bridge downtown. That's the Broadway Bridge into a park above the Missouri River. Is this a top priority right now? Yeah, absolutely. It is one of the top priorities, though, and that's a it's a long list of priorities. Uh, there are so many infrastructure projects that we're looking at. Uh, there's a lid on on top of 670. We're looking at ask we're, you. yeah, we're looking at uh, streetcar extensions. Uh, we're looking at uh, building a lot more affordable housing across the city. Uh, there are so many things on that list that are big priorities. And these these conversations are happening because there's money out there to pursue many of them right now. Exactly. The, the, that doesn't happen all the time. That's true. That's true. We've got uh, we've got stimulus dollars, ARP dollars. Uh, we've got uh, Biden's infrastructure bill that we're thinking about and looking at now. And these are new sources of funds that provide huge opportunities for us. And we are trying to get ahead of that and pitch ideas to uh, anyone and everyone that's a decision maker in these processes to make sure that when they're thinking about the projects that they want to pursue on their end, that we're ready and they know that they can come to Kansas City. And if they're looking at, for example, a sustainability or, or energy efficiency project, that they know about a solar array idea that we've got at the Kansas City airport, for mm -hmm. example. I imagine Congressman Cleaver is a key player in all this for you he guys. He has been a, a phenomenal partner for us and collaborator, and he's helped connect the dots in a lot of ways. And we are so thankful for him. 
and Congressman Graves as well. You know, going back to the Buck O'Neill Bridge, what's so appealing about this idea as far as you're concerned, Brian? You know, we, we're always thinking about ways to uh, repurpose and utilize the iconic buildings and structures and topography of this city in different ways. This is one of those spots that they just, you know, I hate to say it, but they don't make them like they used to. And and so this is something that you're not going to see a lot of bridges that are built like this in, in, in the future. And the new Buck O'Neill Bridge is a good example of that. It's just, it's not the same look. It doesn't have the same feel and energy. And, and so we would love to preserve it and make it a part of our skyline in a more unique and interesting and engaging way. Let's turn to a different issue here, Brian. You told the Star the other day that you and the mayor want to be more supportive to homeowners and neighborhoods east of Troost. I'm wondering, what does that look like going forward? What, what do you have in mind there? We've got a lot of opportunity to improve the neighborhoods east of Troost. And, and part of that is going to be simply building more housing in those areas, adding density uh, and adding more people. And that brings a lot of different opportunities with it. It allows businesses to open because of the new foot traffic and people living in the area. It it has positive impacts on crime in the sense that the more people that are out, the more people that live in a certain area, uh, crime reduces. Uh, and it brings new types of people to different areas as well. But there are a lot of existing homeowners that uh, need support as well. We've had a tremendous success with our rental assistance program that has been a federal uh, funding source. But in Kansas City, we've been nationalized. Rec- uh, we've been recognized nationally for how quickly we've dispersed these funds. We've we've uh, helped over 3,000 families and individuals across the city. We've given out tens of millions of dollars. Uh, and we've literally prevented evictions, prevented people from uh, losing their utilities and that sort of thing. And, and it's across the board. There are, there are supporting the existing families and people in those neighborhoods in ways that they may need. Uh, and then also doing what we can to continue to build on that foundation that we have there. You've announced this aggressive goal to create 10,000 new affordable housing units in the next five years. That's a lot of units. Yeah. How how realistic is that? You know, uh, we've got to be aggressive and bold and transformational when we think about our affordable housing challenge. I see a big opportunity here in Kansas City in that uh, we've got a big resource, and that's our land. We have a lot of space to be able to build things. And one of the things that we are prioritizing right now is affordable housing. We can't wait until the downtown is fully built out like Nashville or Austin or even where I'm coming from in Jersey City, New Jersey, where you look around and you think we need more affordable housing, but it's almost too late. There, There's not a lot of space for it. We've got that opportunity now to build in that affordability for decades to come to protect our homeowners and our new residents that will ultimately be coming here at some point uh, to make sure that they've got affordable housing to live in. That was KCUR's Steve Kraske speaking with Brian Platt, the city manager of Kansas City. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. This podcast was produced by Byron Love and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. For more news stories from Kansas City's NPR station, visit kcur.org. If you like our show, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast app or leave us a voicemail at 816-235-8930 with your thoughts. On Monday, we'll see how supply chain disruptions are affecting the vinyl record industry. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week.